Yeah, fuck. Um, talking about because why not? Because it's a it's an all encompassing cultural thing. I I went into I went into Turnstile on Tuesday, and I mean it was probably my tenth time seeing them, but it was my first time seeing them post glow on, and uh, never never have I witnessed a more cathartic uh, thing in my life. The the How amount they... of oh, sorry, go ahead. The amount of just like celebratory energy in the room was uh, was absolutely was was palpable. You could cut it with a sword. It was fucking awesome. Glow on is is so fucking good. Um, yeah. What's the band that they're that the lead the lead singer is the drummer in? Uh, Trapped under ice. Trapped under ice. Um, the 2017 album is like such an interesting precursor to the glow on sound, dude. It is, dude. I I'm so glad that you I'm so glad that you mentioned that because so I'm I always I'm a big part of the um, the hive of apologists for that album on Twitter because like so the critical the critical community in hardcore has mixed wood about about that that TUI album because it's like such a hard departure from um from the sound of uh stakehold and big kiss goodnight which were their kind of career defining records it was right. a comeback album for them ostensibly um and it was already after the um after the guys in that hive of musicians had uh shifted their shifted their vibe entirely right like um the reason that that whole that the whole like turnstile angel dust TUI pop wig ecosystem have been the harbingers of the vibe shift is because they experienced the vibe shift like five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and that album was the first, that's interesting. Actually. I think that album was sort of the first salvo of the vibe shift and probably one of the reasons I love it so much. Um, I think it's right. And I mean, I, I, it, it seems like it, it is almost certainly like candidate for, for critical retconning. Um, oh Yeah as people well, make sense of the of, uh, of the time um same with sea change you know um yes 99 or whatever 2001 2002 or actually 2002, yeah. yeah sea change best beck album i don't even give a fuck i'm i'm almost always going to love the album where the um where the band departs from like does a hard departure from their genre provided they do it well uh, and pisses off some of the fan base right like title fight hyperview is another great example of that like that album is tremendous um i actually think that hyperview is sort of like the is a, a really proper kind of sad boy analog to glow on in a lot of ways and it's it's their most popular fucking record so i'm wearing a shirt of it right now like <laughs> it's uh, it's good it is interesting like the like I, I think sometimes about like um uh what the fuck's oh like like D'Angelo like yeah. does an album every 10 years or whatever and it, it's always like kind of like a complete rethinking of sound but somehow like sounds like D'Angelo every time. Um and then you have like artists that are like a little bit more like frequent than that, but like but then they put out like something that yeah, like Heatwave or 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 uh uh um hyperview and it's like it's like oh damn on a different like got a much faster cadence they like rethought shit and i think that's cool as fuck um and 
I, I feel like the same, it's sort of the same thing with, uh, if you compare like the, uh, was it Jonathan Glazer, the filmmaker, like has yeah. never made like the same film twice and um, uh, versus like kind of the same thing, I think from maybe like P.T. Anderson um, or Robert Eggers, where like the cadence is like a little bit faster um, and it has like more of that uh, maybe they like seem more stylistically similar but like i'm absolutely certain that both of those artists will make a film that pisses off their fan base as well i mean fuck dude um i think pta has already done it multiple times i think that's true yeah like with i mean fucking phantom thread probably being the most the most uh prominent or the, the loudest example of just like such a departure from the vibe um and i think for different reasons and we've talked a lot. We've talked at length about the master on this podcast. I think if, if you don't like the master, you just have a different set of expectations around um, the typical trappings of, of genre in film. And I don't necessarily think that you belong in, uh, in the conversation about film. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, like horribly elitist gatekeepy thing for me to say, but like um, there's like just fucking loosen up your expectations and you'll find more richness in the art that you consume. <laughs> like yep. it's, it's stupid for you to like, to take, it's stupid for any consumer of art to take um, personal assumptions about what makes good art into the art experience. Like you have to like, at some point you have to go, go to the um, proverbial Apple, Apple store and have the artist tell you what you want. Right. Like, that um and there is a there's a beautiful abandon to to like giving some level of latitude to artists and letting them tell you what you want right yeah i think that's a really good way to put it like yeah like it, it's yeah I, I think that's right like these people are thinking about art all the fucking time and maybe it doesn't like you know align with what you're thinking but you could you know, expand your sense of what's possible with a, good, a really good artist. And, and I think that rules. Like it's, I sort of use the, I can use sort of two different things, right? I can use the bookstore analog or I can use the, the, the restaurant analog or an, analogy, right? Like the, a certain part of consuming art of any kind is expanding your Overton window of what is possible in art and what constitutes a good art experience, right? Like, and a huge part of the reason why we, why we seek out art, whether we want to admit it or not, is to have our expectation, expectations shifted by the artist. And in part, that's the artist's job. Because like, mm-hmm. otherwise, and, and I'm, what I'm getting at here is like, like, listen, if you want to, if you want to, like talking about going to a restaurant, like if you want an eating experience that is reliable and you know exactly what you're what you're going to get you can literally just go to fucking applebee's right you can go to fucking <laughs> Olive Garden. um but if you're going to a fucking um you know michelin star or bib gourmand level restaurant where like that's a little more curated and chef driven like you should expect to have minimal input on what you get and you should expect to just be wowed Right. Like a huge part of the reason why prior to COVID and hopefully this is something that that 
is in the process of changing, but a huge part of the reason prior to COVID why the restaurant industry was such a, an economically unsustainable place is because they were moving their, their goalposts and um, there was all this menu and hours creep because they were trying to hit the expectations of persnickety diners as opposed to just saying, fuck you, this is what we do. Like, right. fuck you, you get this menu that has five things on it and we're open from fucking five to nine every night, deal with it, right? <laughs> right and right. restaurants like in places like the Bay Area where you have to operate sustainably in order to provide a good um, standard of living for your employees because it's so expensive. Like by necessity, restaurants in the places like the Bay Area and um, downtown Manhattan they get that right? right but it's not a it's not a thing that happens everywhere yet i'm hoping that's that that's coming i'm hoping that that's already started i think i've seen evidence of it having already started but and then with like bookstores right like the entire thing about <laughs> like brick and mortar chain bookstores shitting the bed as hard as they have which i think there's been a, like a little bit of a recovery there but um i think that they're like a fundamentally outdated thing um, and I think it's fundamentally bad that they put all these small bookstores out of business because if I'm going to a small bookstore, I want to go there to get lost. I want to mm -hmm. go there to, to, to discover something I've never seen. I want to mm -hmm. go there to, you know, to, uh, to get my, to get my palate changed. Right. Because if I want to, if I know exactly what I want, if I know exactly what I'm going to the store for, and I'm just going to make a beeline for that thing, I can just go on fucking Amazon, right? Or thrift books uh, or, or, you know, Verso or any, any number of, you know, online. Verso is actually a nice example because Verso is sort of like an online experience of going to a, going to a fucking a bookstore, bookstore because you always discover shit when you're on there. But yeah, I think that's right. Like, and I think the, it's almost like as like Amazon is handling like or or what you know insert whatever online retailer is handling the long tail side of retail um, that should you know encourage these brick and mortar places to create that kind of like upfront limited curated experience yes which like you know hey this is just like a fucking anarchist bookstore or this is like collectible yeah. rare books or like whatever the fuck you know um because that rules like i think that that's really fucking i think it's really cool like there's there's a place in in columbus um called uh two dollar radio headquarters that is like a uh it is a full-on like homage to the to the anarchist bookstore slash info shop slash vegan cafe of the of 1998 <laughs> uh, it's run it's actually run by um hanif adurakib Oh, hell yeah, that rules. Which is sweet. So, uh, and that play, it's like my favorite spot in Columbus. It fucking rules. And I'm hoping that I think that there are there are analogs to that in every city, or at least there there will be at some point. Because I just think that that's something that, especially like, not only do I think that it's popular, like TikTok has shown that TikTok culture has shown that like Gen Z are very much a, if you build it, they will come generation. They just need to know how to find out about it, right? right. Like my. One of my one of my homies started a um, started a fucking vegan hardcore themed biscuit shop in Nashville, and it's like become like an insanely popular place because of TikTok. And it's just like it's a very niche thing, and most of the people don't, who, who go there aren't even into hardcore. But 
it's it's like any any time that you build something i think this is such a a huge part of the vibe shift is like people are just stoked to be stoked again like people are in a mindset of of whimsy and healing and people just want things to be excited about and people want things to divert them right we like we've we've dealt with so much uh so much seriousness and so much fire and brimstone over the course of the past several years that like we're just collectively tired and we just want we just want to consume things and experiences that that make us feel um that make us feel happy if only for a moment right it's like a more that's that's just like a very back to basics approach to diversion in general like diversion isn't about being fucking cool anymore it's not a it's not about like adding notches to your cultural belt and i think that that's one of the things that we as millennials sort of whiffed on in our youth right like i think the millennial the millennial cultural experience in our youth was about like racking up cool points and just always being like fucking meticulous about that and jokes on us because um we like any anybody who anybody who was very serious about that looks super chuggy now so i mean and i think it makes sense coming out of the you know like coming out of a boomer upbringing right like yeah where i think that millennials are in a lot of ways responsible for like elevating taste or whatever so that you can create you know the the bernie's restaurants of today where you have an elevated fucking applebee's experience yes a hundred percent like gen x and millennials collectively made the world a fucking made the world a more like culturally rich place just because like we that was just what our drive was right like we saw this really bland world and we wanted to and so i think that that's a really good point like that is going to be our cultural legacy as a generation like we made we made the world hip and cool and like you see you see the good versions of that and like you see the bad versions of that and like this you know fucking cloyingly ubiquitous fucking like bespoke instagram culture everywhere and like the the slow williamsburgification of every hip fucking of every hip neighborhood in every oh, city yeah. and yep. sort of all they all kind of look the same but yep. what what matters is not the 80 percent of that shit that sucks what matters is the 20 percent of that stuff that is actually um that is actually lit and cool and like that the 20 percent of that stuff is like what what has retained and grown cultural currency with the, with the youth, I think. So, oh yeah, every generation has an important legacy, and you did it. You just did a good job of fucking nailing what ours was. So <laughs> nice. I, um, I I think like your point is right as well, though that like it it wasn't always maybe with the right intention. It was like yeah. it was a reaction, but it had good second order effects, and like that's that's okay. I guess like the pragmatist thing would be like, cool. We got to, a, we got to probably a better place, a richer culture at the end of the day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like you can't tell me that like for as many problems as there are with like the whole, you know, gourmand culture, fucking food slash foodie culture, uh, chef driven restaurants, fucking, um, goddamn ramp oil, uh, <laughs> fucking culture. Had some fucking fucking miso 
miso braised uh, asparagus with ramps on it last night and it tasted just like pepperoni and it was really fucking good god that rules um yeah I'm, i'm fucking excited to to do a little bit of uh a little bit of gourmanding with you when um, when I'm out there. Hell yeah! Uh, in a few weeks, uh, but yeah, I think it's funny that like one of the one of the biggest outputs, two of the biggest outputs of like fucking millennial chef culture have been Maddie Matheson and Brad Leone, who are like the mm-hmm. two most like they're they're just like the two most goofus and goofus fucking guys <laughs> of like. They they hold way more cultural capital than any of the more like very serious people in that cohort, and I think that's beautiful, right? Like, who are the, the gallants of that cohort, though? Oh, that's a good question. Not Sean Brock. Sean Brock is in the is in the goofus category for sure. Yeah. Um. God, you know, I've probably seen evidence of them, but I like don't. I don't know who they are. I like legitimately think that all of the all of the chefy fuckers that I care about, like I, I definitely, I, I like definitively don't care about uh, any of uh, the self-serious ones. I'm trying, I, that, that's a good homework assignment. I'm trying to think about like who, who the gallants of that. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's some, but I, I think like you're right. Like Grant Adams would be a great example. Oh, good. That's, that's a great, that's a great, yeah, that's a great example. Like, I guess anybody who's doing molecular gastronomy is maybe like a serious person, but yeah, whoever yeah. the fuck I always forget his name, but the the uh, the Blue Hill guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I right. think Blue Hill fucking rules. <laughs> like yeah. it's delicious. I mean, all that stuff is is super good. But you're right. I think that you know diagnosing the vibe shift, like Maddie Matheson and 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 Brad, make a lot more sense. Like yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I definitely want to go check out Toronto just to eat more Maddie Matheson foods. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that's on the the, the medium term vision board for me too. Be fun to do a, a Toronto rendezvous, a Toronto Toronto. <laughs> it's uh, terrifying to already be kind of starting to look at next spring <laughs> as far as making plans. But I'm, I'm, 2022 isn't all the way gassed yet, though. There's time to, to fit some stuff in. But I'm, like, being very purposeful and selective about what I put on my calendar now. Makes um, sense. And that would be God tier. Real quick wrap about uh, this episode here. <laughs> so, season two, episode four. This is, this, is, this, is what the pot, this is when the pot is at its best, is when we just talk about culture, right? Like, we said this. If you're with us, you've been long, with us long enough to know that to know that this is what we love doing. Um, and ultimately that's what you come to a fucking podcast for is the unique experience of, uh, the get the hosts talking. So, uh, season two, episode four, supercomputer aired June 15th, 2003, still in the, in the St. Anger era, uh, when Frylock builds a supercomputer with special and mysterious powers, others seek to cash in on his unusual invention. Um, it's good. It's, I thought it was fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, I think it's a little less focused maybe than some of the other episodes. Yeah. 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 Um, and if you just look at maybe sheer number of characters, cause like there's a lot of them. Um, but I, I think there's like a, a, what do you call it? A 
Space Odyssey referentiality throughout it. 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Um, and just, just sort of like, I think that they're, they, they've done this before. Obviously this is something that got, that got beaten to death in C-Lab, but this, uh, you know, the, the concept of futurism and sort of in this one, uh, a, uh, a flavor of futurism that is both boring and naive, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, futurism is just emails <laughs> <laughs> yes. and then, and then like curing disease is an afterthought. And like that, that's such a great, um, that is such a great fucking synopsis of what it is like to uh, what it is like to fucking exist today. Because like there, there is so much of like a fucking boring fake email aspect to like the, you know, the, the current future that we live in. And I think that like capital driven fucking boring technology is such a, such a huge part of the, you know, quote unquote, slow cancellation of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I <laughs> go for it. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I was thinking about how like, you know, uh, base camp, the, productivity company that you know the the ceo is always putting his foot in his mouth with his his blog posts but like but yeah like their like major iteration their major new product project product was like email where you pay 99 dollars a year so that you can have a better email experience and it's like why the fuck like like i i don't want to have anything to do with email like i don't want an iteration on email it's not like a technology that we're like iterating on right now you know we're fucking it's just like such a bummer um that that you know a company of like yeah i I think fairly smart people with with very stupid opinions at times like are are putting their time and effort into a fucking email platform um but i guess maybe they've sort of lost their way anyway because like you know they uh their their blog post about a depoliticizing work or whatever it's like bro like that's not how politics works like right <laughs> you, are, you are entered into a politics you're not you don't choose to be in a politics you know yeah no but that everybody always thinks everybody always thinks that they're fucking at a buffet when they're really uh you know they're really in a self-driving car where the robot force feeds you uh various roles yes <laughs> it's um yeah, politics is not you. You you, um, you surrender a lot of autonomy in choosing your politics just by living in a society. And the best the, the best recourse is to just be at peace with that and do what you can to um, to fucking live your politics in the context of the bigger politics. <laughs> it's, um, it's awfully serious all of a sudden. Uh, Why so serious? Uh, but no, what's not so serious is the recurring pizza time, pizza time, pizza time, pizza time. <laughs> <laughs> this probably my favorite part in, in terms of quotes. Um, I think my two pre- biggest laughs were, uh, and I don't even know if like people know this reference, but like the dude you're getting. <laughs> Dude, Dude, you're getting, getting in hell. Oh my god, so fucking so of the time. There were I, these I ads. Love it. There were these ads from about 1997 to 2003 for Dell computers, where it was just like this bro dude, you know, like the most like 2002 caricature guy. Um, 
and the the denouement of the commercial was always dude it was always him saying dude you're getting a dell and it was dell um dude you're getting an oog eek miktak i love like that fucking name that name sounds so much like the the name of the uh the dean at my grad school because <laughs> he's a fucking irishman with like a real irish gaelic name that's real it is real real gaelic name yeah yeah that's um, a big belly laugh at uh the moon and i saying you know try having omelets now denver or whatever the fuck they say <laughs> it's, like, it's it's so good um the caveman is such a like the caveman just seems like the logical extreme of like adult swim bit or villain characters where like mm-hmm. he just talks he talks like a combination of every fucking talks and carries himself like a combination of every bit character we've seen in this show yet um also like the very specific way that he talks has the exact same sort of tone and cadence as the way i forget which of the guys it is but one of the guys on podcast about list who is like oh the guy who always ends up reading the reading the lists has that exact same energy when he fucking delivers the reads and it's so fucking funny um this is a this is a fucking PSA to both you and everybody in the sound of my voice. The podcast about list is literally the funniest fucking, the funniest piece of media ever created by human beings. Like it's insane. I don't know. Have you fucking, have you listened to it? I've never listened to an episode, but I I know about, you know, what's like Patrick Doran or whatever is involved in it. Patrick Doran and Caleb Pitts. And I forget the, the third fella's name. Um, yeah, you should follow Patrick Doran on on the on the on the Twitter. Yeah, um, lunch enjoyer. Lunch enjoyer. Yeah, I always yeah. have a, I always have a good laugh at his his tweets. Dude, those guys are so fucking funny. Like they're just their 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 conversational energy is. Never have I listened to a podcast where listening to listening to them is like listening to you, like you and me. Uh, just hanging out and goofing or like me and Zach Porak hanging out and goofing like just the the absolute the the sort of table tennis nature of the of the conversation and just the bits and goofs is just it's it's fantastic gotta have a good bit (laughs) absolutely um (laughs) this is this is a good episode I actually really enjoyed this a lot um I think that it's it does a lot of good treatment of like things that became relevant talking points in the future like specifically this idea of like you know technological development causing uh causing tears in the fabric of the universe right like i'm pretty bought in on the idea that something happened at cern in 2013 that just sort of shifted everything yes 100 Um, like 2013 was like a big vibe shift where like sort of everything i think became like uh terminally different <laughs> um we definitely entered a different fucking uh universe like there's no way we did it like i think that like i full-on think that that happened on december 23rd 2012 and like that's that's what the mayans were predicting mm-hmm. and like what the mayans ended up predicting was just a massive um maybe the maybe the world did just kind of disappear to them because it something happened at cern and fucking we did 
just like shift into this entirely alternate reality. Um, that's the only way I, I don't care if that's crazy. That's the only way I can look at what's happened over the last decade and not feel great. Because I think that's, yeah, I think that's right. It's been a fucking crazy, fucking crazy decade. Yeah. I mean, and it's been accelerating each fucking year too. Like, yeah. Just like we're, we're, we're in, we're stuck in some kind of singularity. For sure. Well, and I mean that, that that's a really interesting point because the, you know, the sort of concept concept of the, the exponential experience curve and relating to technological development, like there is as technology develops exponentially and techno- as, as technology becomes more and more of the stitching fiber of, of our lives, like we are going to feel the insane effects of an increasing number of things around us developing at an exponential rate. <laughs> like, right. Just it's like the feel fucking cuckoo bananas. And like, the, I've, I've finally, I think maybe a huge part of the vibe shift, and at least for me is a resignation to that. And just like an acceptance of that, right. That like, things are just crazy. Things are just going to feel crazy. And I just have to like do what I can to fucking live a peaceful life. Yep. And, in the face of that in, the, no in the words of meatwad you know are you looking for something well just everlasting peace bro <laughs> exactly um i gotta drop yep peace and love dude peace and love be well later thanks everybody